Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly. I'm the editor at large at Sports Pro. Hope you're all very well. Uh, very glad to welcome back this time Sports Pro senior contributor Matt Rogan. Hi Matt. Hi, how you doing? Not bad, Matt. Not bad. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. A long weekend of recreational cricket. I think I've learnt to score. I've learnt to umpire. <laughs> um, uh, my brain is frazzled, and it's back to work. Yeah. Well, we'll see what the the two teams involve uh, think about the scoring and umpiring. Less said about that, the better. Yeah. <laughs> Your confidence in that, but um, we are picking up Matt on the the, the series that you started brief series um, about how businesses can react to the COVID-19 pandemic and the uh, unique challenges that have arisen. Um, A couple of weeks ago, regular listeners will be aware that we looked at the five brilliant basics uh, to help sport weather the COVID-19 storm. They were just as a reminder, scenario planning in real time, supporting and challenging internal teams, uh, showing less haste, more speed and getting the tone of voice right and staying visible by being relevant. And that was very much uh, about just staying the course really in in 2020 um, and getting through the the very worst of this. Um, Today in part two of the series that we're calling Being Brave in a New World, we're looking at getting business ready for 2022 and beyond, Matt. That's right. I I think, um, as you rightly say, you know, brilliant basics we're a lot about weathering the storm and, and ideally trying to get just a little bit of breathing space and a little bit of time to, to to think more broadly about what the opportunities and challenges might be for the business in the longer term. And therefore, whether you're running a rights holder, an agency, a sponsoring brand, whatever, um, how you might reorientate your business to rebuild it with confidence Um and and remain flexible to whatever the future might throw at it. Yeah, so rebuilding with confidence is the title of this second part, and uh, it will be there's a, an accompanying piece in Sports Pro Magazine uh, and on SportsProMedia.com as well to look out for. But uh, the five steps in the process um, this time: look beyond the bubble for inspiration, understand where you fit in 2022, and build a plan to that. Uh, build a balance sheet against your new plan, not the other way around. Explicitly move the goalposts and don't forget to say why. It's a good uh, umpiring tip as well. Uh, and stay in permanent beta in the way you create value. So over the course of this podcast, Matt, we'll just kind of unpack some of those ideas and um, yeah, get a sense from you of, of where businesses can be looking in the long term. I mean, one of the things, of course, that was fundamental to what you were discussing before is you know, scenario planning in real time meant that we don't really know what quite what the shape of uh, the sports industry is going to be in 2022. But this is just kind of giving people the means to to do a bit of longer term thinking and, you know, be ready for, for whatever eventuality they're, they're holding in their minds at this point in time. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and nobody said it was easy. Um... There's a, there's a good article, actually, in the Harvard Business Review this month where global managing partner McKinsey, who's a guy called Kevin Smeaton, talks about what it's like for leaders at that this point. 
because as you say, you know, you got your head down trying to manage the scenario planning and things really focused on the detail, probably as a leader focused on a level of detail you haven't been for years in your organization. And you're sort of having to do that collectively with trying to get a bit of breathing space to look longer term. And the way he describes that is he says, you know, it's it's a bit like having a microscope to one eye and a telescope to another. (laughs) Um, And and the only thing that's true about that is that that's going to give you a headache. And as a leader, it, it absolutely does. But that doesn't mean it's not important to do it. You just have to kind of take a couple of paracetamol along the way, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, let's let's start with this first step. Uh, look beyond the bubble for inspiration. I guess, you know, that the, 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 the piece that you're mentioning is, is the fact that every organization or every industry is going through uh, a broadly similar set of challenges, even though the specifics of it are going to create pressures. Uh, in in different areas but you know that just I guess this is always a good tip to be honest um but I guess now more than ever to uh if you if you've got your pandemic bingo cards at the ready for that one but it's 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 just good practice to try and get some sense of how other people are dealing with this Absolutely. And and there's plenty of good stuff out there, actually, to, to try and learn a little bit about how other industries, particular industries that, that have things in common with sports, um, are starting to think things through. I, um, For example, I listened to a, to a cracking podcast on the Tim Ferriss show with with a gentleman called Nick Kakanos, who's who runs a, a really high end restaurant group in North America called the Linear Group. And he shares some fascinating insights in terms of how he's had to retool um, his restaurant chains from the sh- for the short term and the midterm by starting to think about how he can build a super high end but also takeaway restaurant business. Mm. The other industry, an industry level, the other one I, I'm spending a lot of time looking at at the moment is fashion. It's interesting to to have a look at the the movement um, that's being set up across the fashion industry called rewiring fashion. So they, there's a lot of the, that's the hashtag rewiring fashion, which is uh, really using the the COVID pandemic as an opportunity to challenge a lot of the ways things have always been done in the fashion industry. And it made me smile looking at some of the things in particular the leaders of this movement have picked out as being unfit for the next two to three decades. So, so, you know, fundamentally, the fashion calendar, the sell-in, sell-through period and things just doesn't really work. It's too tight. There's too much in it. Um, A lot of challenge of the fact that men's fashion weeks and women's fashion weeks might be different weeks you know what's all that why why would that be the case a lot of challenge on fashion shows as a as a premise that you might get 100 people almost behind closed doors uh into small high-end venues and saying well look we should reimagine fashion shows to put the consumer that who's actually going to buy the clothes at the heart of it um, and actually quite a lot of interesting tests gone on this summer. If you look at London Fashion Week and some of the digital communication that's gone out for some high-end brands, it's, you know, there's a lot changing that's fascinating very quickly in that space. And, and actually, into the, some of the economics of it as well, um, some of these retailers, unsurprisingly, trying to say, look, we, we realize now we need to break our addition to down- discounting. We start thinking more about the value we give to people who wear our clothes as opposed to the price we charge them. 
which is a quite an interesting mindset shift. So I just think whether it's restaurants, whether it's retail, whether it's some of the things that maybe talk about later, the Metropolitan Opera in New York City have been up to, there's all sorts of interesting ideas out there. And it's so easy when we've got both eyes on the microscope, just to, just to keep focusing on what's going on in our, in our little industry day in and day out. But there's, there's heaps of good ideas out there if we can just take the time. Yeah. And I think what, one of the things that's interesting in this, you know, as we've, we've moved from the kind of shutdown phase into the limited reopening of, of the sports industry is to compare some of the challenges that sport has with some of the ones that other industries have. Um, the thing that I keep coming back to is, you know, when there was no live sport, you saw sport has a problem with creating or having a, a, an archive anyway, or having a, a well-maintained set of things it can go to that are packaged up and ready to go um, to fill that non-live gap. But actually, it's been easier from a logistical point of view to start live sport up again than it has been to start uh, live theatre or comedy or music or even cinemas are, you know, a couple of months behind sport just because of the way that uh, the, the kind of physical distancing gets arranged. And then you start looking at other industries and saying, oh, they have a problem with distribution and maybe that's a strength that sport has. And, um, you know, they have a problem with live distribution, sorry, and maybe that's a strength that sport has. And, you know, it's, it's being able to compare the whole economic set against other industries that's that's been quite interesting at this point. I completely agree. I mean, the, the Metropolitan Opera is a really good example of an organisation that's that, that's actually said, you know, we're, not, we're just not sure that for us um, we can get any kind of viable product up, not about economics, but, but just viable as an experience just by having, you know, 500 people in our amazing venue in New York City. That's just not going to work. And so for them, they might have an amazing archive, but getting back to some kind of live it, it is quite tough. Um, in a way that for sport, we're already noticing, you know, some of the, the sport going on in the United States last weekend, you know, that there are some things going back up and running that are outdoors that are more, more conducive. And, um, and whilst sport might have been hit early and hard by having to not and uh, not having the archive readily available, as you say, um, it is back and it is going to be also going to be an industry that other industries are looking to saying, oh, I wonder how sport have managed to do it. What is sport doing well in that regard? So, you know, it swings and roundabouts, but there's still heaps we can learn from, from other spaces for sure. Yeah. And having worked, you know, obviously in, in the agency space, you're working with rights holders and with uh, with their partners and you're mm-hmm. connecting people and um, linking people to solutions and stuff. How much appetite and how much infrastructure is there to get these industries talking to each other? What, what I think is really interesting um, is the appetite amongst rights holders now that I've never seen before just to just to get out of that of that bubble so um you know in a a two circles world one of the things since inception um organizations look to do is is have insight from people outside of the sports industry who play in similar spaces so we've had Harvard Business Review speak had economists we had National Theatre interestingly We've had Zumba, and they were always fabulously well attended Chatham House Rural Sessions. And, and I think also as, as 
more people from outside the sports industry do come into it in senior level roles, you're starting to notice a, a breaking down of the of the barriers that that might have existed to, to gathering different different insight. I think the reality of um, the the sort of battle to reopen back up um, in the last sort of two to three months has been that it's sort of been every industry for itself. So you've got sport lobbying, you've got theatre and, and live events lobbying, you've got, you know, the airline industry and the government's in this impossible situation around the world where they're having to choose between different industries. And, and actually, I think sport has done itself proud in that regard. Okay. Um, second point, or, or the second of these uh, five steps uh, for rebuilding with confidence, understand where you fit in 2022 and build a plan to that. What are we talking about here? Obviously, we, we just to take it back a step, we, you know, uh, as part of the brilliant basics, the idea that, that you explored was just setting 2021 aside because it's going to be an unusual year. It's going to be a, a crowded calendar and kind of uh, restoring some of what was lost in 2020. So so where does this, where does this point take us? So I think what, the, what this is saying is, look, for all of us in our walks of life this year, we've had to be finance led. So if you go back to the brilliant basics, we're saying, you know, cash has to drive the scenarios. And underneath that cash in, um, drives the extent to which we can and can't put sport on under different scenarios. It, it drives the way in which we have to engage and support and challenge our teams and so on and so forth. What we're saying now is that the, the mindset shift between brilliant basics and what we're talking about today is today is about rebuilding confidence rebuilding to uh, what we can best see as a pragmatic future for our sport. And what that means is actually finance comes last. So if you look at um, some of what Nick Kakarnas, the gentleman I mentioned from the from the high-end retail restaurant group, was, was talking about, he was saying, you know, his starting point is, well, actually, what are people going to want emotionally from a restaurant high-end cuisine experience in, in two years' time? What will it look like experience-wise? And only having solved those kind of questions, do you get into a world of saying, well, what would that need to look like in terms of a business model to save 95% of the jobs we have and make money as a solid business, which is the way he described it. So it's it's very much if um, Brilliant Basics is about generating breathing room by being finance-led, this is, is much more holistic. And I talked to um, one organization, so... Craig Jews, who's chief exec of um, sports marketing agency called Limelight Sports, who, who specialise in participation experiences and are quite unique, actually, in terms of having um, relaunched their strategy sort of three weeks or so ago. And, and Craig said, you know, we wanted to do this completely in the round. We thought it was important to, especially with some of the transitions going on in, in participation sport right now. And we didn't just look at our brand identity and have a really simplistic sort of strategic look but we looked at really why we exist as an organization. So what's our vision and mission? What's the approach we're going to use? You know, what are we here for, really? And it was asking ourselves those kind of tough um, questions helped us, in particular through lockdown, you know, sharpen the plan and, and test scenarios. So it was very much saying, okay, well, if we do have a little bit of breathing space now, actually, why are we here? What's the job we do? And therefore, how do we need to retool our balance sheet against that, as opposed to saying, well, how much cash have we got? And therefore, what can our strategic plan be? Which kind of brings you on to the, to the next point, really, in terms of um, sports very good at being, at being finance-led. What we're saying here is 
actually we need to start with with our reason for being build out a strategic plan that works for our shareholders our customers and ultimately everyone who works in our organization having done that then let's let's get into the nitty-gritty of how we we raise the money to make it work one of the things that a few people have have, have returned to is this idea that you know that the pandemic might not necessarily have changed anything but it will accelerate certain things so the, the changes that we're seeing are not it's not a, a new direction but it might be uh, it might have brought certain things forward by a few years and and so obviously it will have accelerated some things um more quickly because yeah yeah they they will have come about as um as a response to to some of the conditions that that we're having to live under at the moment i, I think that's right uh, i think um great example of that actually was was the sports pro podcast last week with malcolm booth and the rna who was talking about some of their creative use of archive footage over the, over the last couple of weeks but also the way in which that's enabled them to to think more more strategically about their whole asset portfolio for the future so it is a lot more future focused so it is a lot more kind of developing a, a portfolio of assets that can be activated in particular digitally over over 52 weeks of the year and he really gave me the sense that actually you know this was a transition that um the partners who've been coming to him or the incumbents people like hsbc have been have been looking for for him for a couple of years but this created the context for for a nice to have becoming a must-have through the course of the of, of this summer mm. so i thought it was a great example i mean his his language we're spending time now looking at a future focused asset portfolio to me really rang true in terms of this this second area of, of, of rebuilding with confidence about understand what the future looks like and build your portfolio now against that. Yeah. And I mean, what we're, what we're talking about here is not just add-ons or updates to, to the way that things were being done. It's, it's some of the, some of the really bigger picture things, uh, top line things that, that you've heard people discuss with, with regards to entire business models and the fact that, you know, uh, organizations in sport might have to be more purpose oriented because their partners might need that from them as well rather than just selling bundles of rights that that give you access to an audience absolutely right you're thinking okay well what motivates that audience what motivates our consumers how do we bring those two things together absolutely right i mean and and um so for the influencer series i talked to the president of the the drone racing league rachel jacobson she was talking about the fact that over the course of the last few months, they've been particularly active uh, in terms of building out their STEM program, effectively a way of, of helping kids in schools up and down uh, North America who might not have access to, to world-class STEM teaching, learn how to build a drone, but also embed the curriculum through the process of that. Uh, and that is a payback, of course, for, for brands wanting to do you know, to, to be closer to a, a more social contribution, but also has a really good payback for Joan Racing League because ultimately um, they've now got a, a fascinating pathway where they can they can get kids involved in building drones at the same time get them involved in their digital simulator uh, product that's available on Twitch for free and then move them into, you know, the best of the best who build their own drones, then move them into competing on a on the live event platform around the world so that strikes me as a really future-facing business model where the the distinction between the core 
physical product and digital product and social contribution is just a moot point, really. It's just all one fused product, which from a brand perspective, I would imagine is, is particularly potent. It certainly impressed me when I talked to her. Given, given the practical challenges that businesses are going through this year um, and the financial challenges and given the, the kind of uh, the, the impetus there'll be, the kind of emotional pull to trying to get back to where people were in 2019 how difficult a step is this to implement culturally well it's difficult to implement culturally but but you need to know what you're trying to implement first is it yeah i'd say it's it's, um it comes back to that kevin smeaton quote really it's um you know the microscope and telescope simultaneously do create a bit of a headache um he advocates and let's remember that he works in um, with organisations who have tens, if not hundreds of thousands of employees. He advocates having a specific team tasked with this, um, the more future-facing stuff. So you don't direct the, you don't sort of divert the, the day-to-day firefight that's going on from happening simultaneously. Whilst in our world, that might be a little bit of a, of a luxury. Um, I think what, what I've noticed in my charity I work with, but also some of the other people I've talked to and certainly noticed at, at Two Circles, as well the actually it's it's quite nice for for staff to to just be released from the day-to-day firefight every so often to think that there that there might be an opportunity to co-create a better future or a more sustainable future for their organizations because everybody's thinking on the bus ride in you know how long can we keep this firefight going or what happens if if there is a second wave and things like that and so um, I actually think it's it's quite cathartic for for staff to think this through. The thing I would I would say though is you might notice what I said there was involve them in the decision making, and that's the key point. So you don't hire two hundred, two thousand, two hundred thousand bright people for three people to come up with a solution, right? So it's, it's about gathering views from different demographics in a workforce and things as to what the future might hold. Yeah, people close to the coalface are going to be far better at working out what the future might hold for, for your sport than you are as chief exec. You might be better at the numbers, but they're going to be better at, at being close to the, the, the shop floor and thinking about how it might play through in the future. And so thinking through once a quarter, getting them together, even if it's virtually, or just creating a mechanic where they can feed ideas and innovations and things in, I think is it's well worth doing at this point, and it doesn't need to be too distracting. But I do recognise that, that to have somebody living and breathing this stuff 24-7, you might need a, a small team of some sort um, to play through in the next in, in the next kind of year or so to really cement this. My time at MTV, we used to have a, a team that I ran called the Greenhouse. Um, the idea was that was, was, was the Greenhouse team, which sounds grand, but actually it was one and a half people. Um, was greenhouse is a really nice analogy because the greenhouse sort of protects plant young plants or new nascent ideas from the from the wind and rain but also when the sun comes out refracts the sun and helps things grow quickly and whether you have a greenhouse that's two hours a week of your time as chief exec however you do it just freeing up a little bit of time to think without the stresses and strains of the day-to-day about what the future might hold and what that might mean for your business is important because as we'll come on to um, I, I think otherwise you'll end up in a world where financiers, debt providers and all this kind of stuff are going to be catching you on the hop. So you do need to be in a place of starting to think about what the future might hold. Yeah, and as you say, the, one of the ways that you make these kind of changes stick is that you make, um, you know, you you build your organisation around them 
financially and you've uh, your next point point three is uh, build a balance sheet against your new plan not the other way around what what kind of what kind of steps are we talking about here so so i think the um we're in a really interesting time at the moment because you can't go on the sports pro website um any particular day without seeing a you know, a suggestion that there's a as a private equity provider talking to this organisation, or a debt provider talking to another, and uh, and sports in this strange space where, to some extent, it it's back and 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 happening um, around the world, albeit without crowds. And you have a, a longer term prognosis for the broader economy, which is which is fairly challenged. And you have a lot of funds. In particular, private equity funds who have pre-raised um, pre-raised money, and a hypothesis there that um, sport, if it's struggling in the short term, might be a great source of long-term opportunity, rebound quicker than the rest of the economy, and actually be a source of some quite good deals right now. So, what what you're finding as a result is a lot of private equity providers and some debt providers. Um, knocking on a lot of doors in commercial sport, whether that's agencies, whether that's individual talent groups, whether that's rights holders. Uh, and my point here is that what you don't want to be is the organisation that has its door knocked on without a concrete plan. So um, I think our experience in two circles, my experience in former lives was that that conversations of that ilk are more likely to result in deals that work for everyone if if the invested party or the party that will be interested in in having investment has its stuff together first and what that means is that having built your plan as to where you fit in 2022 you've done the financial modeling you understand where you're going and why and that's the start point of your of your conversation whether that's for debt for equity whatever it might be how is this um exercise how does this differ from the kind of the the typical kind of management of um of balance sheets and and the typical financial modeling that you might have over a a three to five year period in in normal times i think the biggest difference is what any financier is looking at in terms of sport now is um it is the credibility of the management time management team to understand in detail the levers that are on their business for good and for bad um, and have a realistic view of of what the future might hold and enough talent in the management team to navigate through it george pine at Bruin sports capital for example is a um, is a great example of, and his organization of one that invests fundamentally invests in management teams more than it does financial opportunity because they believe through the management team um, the finance will, will ultimately play through. Mm. Um, we talked for the interview to a partner of an organisation um, called Liberty Corporate Finance, um, a guy called Tim Thomas, who actually were the, they were the team that um, helped the Two Circles management team um, set the right deal up from their perspective through the Two Circles Brewing transaction. And, and Tim's advice for management teams at this point would say, look, there's two things here. There's um, having your long-term business plan prepared before you have any conversations. So understand the key value drivers, what's going to make the difference in terms of the, the success of your business for the next five years. 
understand in detail the upside and the downside and be prepared to entertain different scenarios against that. And that, I think, is owing to answer your question is that's that's the biggest difference, which is you're looking for talented management teams who can navigate the ups and the downs in the next three years. And to Tim's point, the other thing he advised was um, due diligence at this point. So this is when an investor or, or a debt provider looks in detail at your business to say, is this uh, robust enough and is the opportunity as large as I believe it to be? That needs to be a two-way process. So there'll be, um, he believes, a continued interest in sport, continued availability of, of debt and, and equity into um, lines into sport. But it's really important for sport to ask great questions of those providers because invariably the first call um, isn't the right call for, for sport. Help us spread the word about the Sports Pro podcast. Subscribe, like and share our content on social. Join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SportsProPod. And if you're enjoying our work, why not leave us a rating and a nice review on your podcast platform of choice. And if you want to get in touch, you can send us an email, podcast at sportspromedia.com. The Sports Pro Podcast, we're listening to. You've looked as well at some other ways of, uh, of, of generating a bit of capital. You know, one of them is, is uh, we saw Locomotive Leipzig selling 100,000 tickets for an invisible match and... Uh, something that's a bit longer standing, which is that um, Chelsea have the Chelsea pitch owner scheme, where um, where where some of the fans hold a stake in in the freehold at, at Stamford Bridge. If you're an organisation that's going to look to that kind of crowdfunding initiative, or you know, open up uh, a a shareholding in the club in order to to generate that little bit of income, what are some of the things that you have to consider in in that respect? That it's you know to to make it something that not only generates meaningful revenues, but also, um, or, or a meaningful bit of cash, but also gives people some value in exchange for that. Well, you're right. I mean, this this is an area of ownership that I, I believe personally is, is going to grow in significance um, it, in terms of its, its connective ability um, between sports teams in particular and fans, customers, supporters. Um, and if you look at one of the ways in which the arts has survived so far through the course of um, the pandemic, it's done a really good job in this space. So uh, Metropolitan Opera in New York, who I mentioned earlier on, um, to quantify it, they're about a $300 million business, employ full and part-time um, contract perm, about 3,000 people they've managed to generate about 300,000 new donors. That's not even equity owners, that's donors through the course of the summer just by opening up the chance to have a, a, a more direct engagement with a, at a challenge time for the opera. And I do think, it, it, like the Leipzig example, I, I do think there's a large desire amongst fans, players, participants, call it what you like, of, uh, of people in sport right now to to help the things that they love through a challenge time. In some instances, uh, that was exactly what happened at Chelsea Pitch Owners best part of 30 years ago when I became one. It was a case of helping Chelsea through a challenge time and owning its freehold. In, in some instances, it might be a case of saying, look, we are we want to continue our investment in, in this area of our sports. It is challenging to do so at the moment because we also need to pay the players or we also need to 
make do on the new health and safety requirements. And so what we're going to do is um, is offer up a small percentage of the of the shareholding of our club against a, a, a sum that comes in from fans. I wouldn't look at it necessarily as a as a means of um, generating material capital, um, and you certainly wouldn't want to go to the level. I wouldn't suggest that the Bundesliga clubs have got themselves into, where actually they're finding that the level of fan ownership of clubs makes them a little less agile in terms of some of the decisions they they want to be able to make and pace. Um, but I absolutely think there's a role for collective ownership amongst the fan base of a club or a team in the future, in particular those local clubs and teams who are going to increasingly rely, smaller ones who are increasingly going to rely on better relationships with their local communities in order to, to thrive. I also think, by the way, that, that this part of the jigsaw plays through for, for agencies perhaps as well. Um, Two Circles have done a lot in this regard in, through the, the partnership with Bruin and uh, and this kind of approach, which says, look, if there's a small percentage of our organisation which which can be collectively owned, that's hugely powerful in a way that goes far beyond the monetary value of it. Then I, I think this is an area that's going to that's really going to grow um, over the course of the next five years, in particular. Picking up on the point about the the Metropolitan Opera, you know, this is going to affect some rights holders in in sport more than others, but there's going to be a community of people involved with those organizations on a on a recurring or a regular basis who will be um, freelancers who are not getting paid or who might be falling through the gaps um, in terms of government support in some countries or or what have you or will in other ways just be disconnected from you know the the usual environment in which they work you know what are some of the things that those organizations can be exploring to protect those people um, at this point or to at least maintain some kind of uh, link to them? I think if, if it's a case of work, working with people who have long-standing relationships with your organisation, in terms of building out future strategy and involving them in the planning process, and I realise that doesn't pay the mortgage in the short term, but, but treating them as much as you can as, as, as part of the broader family, I think is really important in terms of sort of their, their mental feeling is kind of emotional feeling of connection as, as much as financial. From a financial perspective, I also think what you'll, you'll start to see is, uh, in particular in the, in, in the agency space and the rights holder space, developing more entrepreneurial relationships with um, sort of freelancers and associates of organisations. So, for example, to make that real, if I was building out my greenhouse, what I'd be looking for is people who can spend specific time on specific areas of my organization without impacting on the on the day-to-day operations, but also looking for real specialist people in that space, then I'd absolutely consider going to the to the freelance space to do or, or the contractor space to do that. It was almost like a, as a bit of a think tank stroke idea shop. Uh, I, and I guess the other thing that I, th- I think will happen as a result of this is Typically, what you you tend to find in times of kind of economically challenged circumstances is a lot of new organisations and a lot of innovative tech and things does start to to launch up because freelancers and people who don't have a a committed long-term income stream sort of have to find other ways to try and generate one for themselves. And and so I think we'll also see a swathe of 
of, of really interesting, new, challenging business models emerge in the agency space in particular. I'm a big admirer of the, the team that, that created the, the kind of interim agency on furlough. Well, it wasn't on furlough, was it? Not for long. Um, in the UK, which is about a group of furloughed individuals coming together to try and do good through the build of a creative agency. And those people will have learned skills in the actual running of an agency they might not have had before. Um, I have no insider knowledge, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if there, there's an organisation ends up being a kind of a, a legacy as a result of that come out of the back end. Just one more thing on on this point. I mean, it's, it's quite a big point, obviously, because it's, it's how people are, are going to keep going. Uh, into the future but for sure uh, how do you weigh the uh benefits of of an equity sale or, or some kind of equity investment against taking on debt at this point it's, it's a great question um and it, i i was thinking it was, it's probably worth taking two steps back and just just explaining um slightly simplistically but but the difference between the two so if you imagine you're you're looking at a buying a new house okay you know if if um the debt route would be to say okay well i'm pretty sure that i'm going to have a sustainable income um i'm pretty sure that interest rates are going to be broadly stable so so i'm going to get myself a mortgage and effectively what that means is you're paying an interest rate every month but you still own and ultimately own when you pay the mortgage down you own all of your house um so that would be the debt debt route an equity route would be to say, okay, well, it's it's you know it's it's not cheap. I might struggle with the whole of the deposit. Um, I'd also like to do some work on it and things. So so rather than than the debt route, and I'm not that sure about my my kind of future earnings or the interest rates and things. I, I'm my, I'm going to take advantage of my mate down the road who's just come into a fortune and has offered me a hundred grand to to be part of the deposit and therefore own a part of the house. And the advantage of that is, is is that you have to find less cash up front, and and you have have smaller uh, mortgage payments going forward. The the challenge with that is you never really own, or you never own all of your house. You know, maybe if you're putting an extension on, you need to consult your mate and things like that. Mm-hmm. So there, there's pros and cons with, with 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 both. The biggest risks I can see going forward in terms of of debt as an option is that. Um, even now, um, some of the interest rates I've heard quoted on on inverted commas sort of safe bets going forward are probably about double what they were at the turn of the year. So just need to be very sure that kind of your your foundational revenue streams and margins and things are going to be pretty consistent going forward to take on a large slug of debt. From an equity perspective, as I mentioned, there's I think it's fair to assume in the private equity market at least that that there'll be continued interest and engagement in sport. And it's really understanding, um, if I could give one tip in that space, um, it's not enough just to say private equity is the right route for us going forward. You need to know what type of private equity. So are we looking for more of a effectively a family fund or a family house investment that that might have a 10 to 15 years worth of uh, of wanting to hold a, an asset before it, it gets rid of it again? Or are we looking for, to turn the organisation around in three to four years and looking for a private equity provider that takes a really short-term horizon? Uh, and that comes out of what your 22 business plan 
um, might be. The second thing that's really important is understanding how, how the private equity firms view their investments. Are they growth funds? Are they looking for sporting organisations who are going to grow the revenue line into a brand new market and that's why they're, how they're going to look to, to grow profit with you? Or are they saying, well, it's a pretty mature bit of the market, but if we grow modestly at the top line and then sh kind of shave costs left, right and centre, we can grow profits markedly. Uh, and so all private equity, all equity routes aren't created equal. And it's just about understanding what is the right route for you. It, it's far too simplistic to say equity is a better option than debt right now or debt is a better option than, than equity. Both have risk and it's just really understanding kind of what the right option is for you based on what you think kind of your future world's going to look like in 2022 onwards. Okay. Step four was explicitly move the goalposts and don't forget to say why. What do we, what do we mean by that, Matt? <laughs> sure. So I think this is about understand. once you understand where you're looking to take things in 2022, that will inevitably involve change. To your point, even if you can get sport back exactly as, as it was through the course of, of the end of this year, with the same number of fans, the same number of digital engagement, the same number of sponsors, la -da -da -da, same broadcast contracts, it will still have changed fundamentally. Uh, and what is what's important at this time, I think, is understanding the permissions that come um, with this time and trying to use them appropriately, but to your to um, to your advantage. One of the best organisations I've uh, I've seen work in this space um, over the last couple of years has been the New York Islanders uh, in North America. Talk about their return to to play in 2021 back in Long Island, having been previously in, in Brooklyn, and just the communication that's gone around that, the the clarity saying we are literally moving the goalposts of our hockey team and the clarity with which that's done, I think, even though that was pre-lockdown, absolutely speaks to um, the, the, the level of openness and candour that all sports organisations need today. Um, I've been really impressed, and we actually talked for the article, we talked to the, the NNL, um, National Cross League in North America, through the course of the whole of this lockdown process who engage their fans very actively in um, when the sport should come back, uh, ultimately ended up cancelling the season as a result. Um, and some of the public communication, in particular of their, their uh, commissioner, Nick Sakovich, has been excellent. It's not a press release cancellation. It's a, it's a YouTube interview engaging directly with fans, tell them why and how the sport is, is reacting to everything that's going on. It's doing them on a regular basis. But interestingly in that, he's also said, you know, and as a result of doing that, I'll say now, um, we're going to relook at the way we structure our calendar in 2021. So um, coming back to that example from fashion, you know, it's saying, look, to the fans, look, these are some things we need to change and our sport will need to fundamentally shift and being being very open and very early around some of the fact, the things that goalposts that might need to move for lacrosse too. So it's a little bit like we were saying in the brilliant basics in terms of just the, um, the, the, the candor and the openness with which sports have needed to operate through the short term, I think needs to permeate through the, the long term as well. Yeah. And, I mean that that is the fundamental thing, isn't it? Is it it is that transparency because again, there's going to be you know there's going to be 
a, a part of every audience that wants to take things back and wants to reconstruct and wants to uh, to to get things to where they were before this crisis happened. And that's going to be within an organization. That's going to be within fan bases. Everyone's going to have their own things that they want to protect or their own agendas that they want to pursue. So it, it, I guess it comes down fundamentally to decisive leadership, but also transparency in how you conduct that conversation. Absolutely. And, and you know, sadly, this isn't actually an area where the, with the exception of, of some mainland European nations, where I think we can learn a lot from, from governmental communication in the short term, because whilst the decision making might have been logical, um, some of the communication in the UK and North America, I think in particular, has, has been quite poor. But I do think within the context of um, sport, it's absolutely about helping fans understand, in particular, the financial realities mm. going on here. So is it the same in England to have the FA Cup behind closed doors at Wembley? No. Was the FA exemplary, really, in the clarity of its communication around why it needed to loosen people and the financial black hole it finds itself in right now? Yes, absolutely. And the more that that we can come out of our financial ivory towers in sport and just explain with with real clarity what some of the issues we have are and, and make that real for people up and down the up and down the, the countries within which we operate, the better, you know. Off the top of my head, if you if you've got a three hundred thousand sorry three hundred million um, black hole in English football right now, and you've got thirty county associations to fund and support, that's going to create an impact. And so you have to explain that impact that everything's going to have at the grassroots as well as in the professional game. Okay, last point: uh, stay in permanent beta in the way you create value. Yeah, so uh, I guess I've spent the last sort of thirty five forty minutes talking about. Uh, building a rigorous plan and financial modeling and all this kind of stuff and understand where you fit in the market, managing your debt levels and all this kind of thing. And and yet what I'm going to say at the end is yes, but stay fluid. Uh, and I absolutely realize that the contradiction in that. Um, at the same time, I think if, if there's one fundamental thing that we've seen in sport over the course of the last six months is that things don't happen without partnership between broadcasters and clubs, between teams and and players between players and and fans between fans and sponsors you know we we all we're all part of a broader supply chain and what i think we're seeing now is just a little bit more of an understanding from everybody that we need to let our barriers down a little bit and be fluid in terms of the roles we all play stay in that beta space at times because you can you can invent some really interesting stuff if you do so if you can leave yourself a little bit of space to do that so you know, I, t- I talked to uh, to commercial and marketing director Tim Hunt, Williams Racing, who was who was talking about their new approach to to commercial partnerships. More of which is in the long film article. Was saying, you know, we're building partnerships to share risk in in the work that we do and be accountable to our partners' bottom line. Look at Leicester Tigers, who who, who a couple of weeks ago, the rugby team in, in in England, who who've launched a pop up agency to support some of their club partners. You look in the mass participation space, uh, um, you know, now as, as Chris Robb, we talked to for the articles saying, you know, you've now got World Marathon Majors, Ironman, Sparta and all the big guns talking to each other to navigate the, 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 the next three years together, just like you've got the fashion industry doing. Um, you look at Formula One sort of saying, OK, well, you know, we can't offer physical uh, hospitality, but actually we can offer 
an entertainment experience to far more people from our from our commercial partners if we create a zoom type hospitality offer you know they're all just examples of of us letting our guard down maybe being a little bit less precious in the, in the industry and trying to think a little bit more creatively about some ways which we all can create value just like the open did did last week for for some of their commercial partners as a result of their their fantastic archive open yeah i did i did gather one fabulous example which is about as, as extreme an example of beta as i could find which is uh, the london-based creative agency um dark horses who who themselves decided that that at this time to to enter into the sports nutrition space uh with a with an energy bar so they've sort of said well actually to be a creative agency really good one for the next five years we need to understand what it's like to be a brand yeah really understand in particular not our our chief exec and our ceo over the whole organization to to really live what it is to be a brand so we're going to use this time and launch our own nutrition bar gather some insight work out where to focus it and go and, and that that's just a really interesting example i think you know you could argue it's a distraction but i think in their case it's uh really walking the walk and saying if we want to be a, a proper creative agency in 2022 that can cope with some of the ups and downs that brands are going to face we're going to need to be able to talk that story ourselves and so i guess it's you could say it's staying in permanent beta you could say it's just just relax a little bit and and keep a small amount of your greenhouse time that's just mm. to just to test and iterate even if it's just go jogging with a podcast from a different sector and just think once a week you know just give yourself a little bit of breathing time i mean i might be misspeaking here but i think the the bar that the uh, the dark horses launched is one that they've been working on before lockdown i mean obviously it would be quite difficult to to kind of rush something like this out in a couple of months but i guess what that's an indication of is that this kind of thinking was already um in evidence and it's maybe just going to percolate a little bit higher up or a little bit further out into the industry um, as we return from this. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, if I think back to you know, my MTV days and, and running that greenhouse operation, you know, we used to have 50 ideas kind of percolating away. Um, and the way we did it, actually, was we had every member of our team responsible for just nurturing one. And they had, a, they had an hour a week just to just to tickle it along a little bit with a different idea or just keep a, a working document of, of what they thought the, the opportunity might be. And then it just so happened that the right commercial partner or the right production TV idea came along and boom, we were ready to go and plant it out in the main garden. And uh, you're right, Dark Horses have been, have been thinking about this. I think I first learned about it at the end of last year. Um, it just so happened lockdown created the conditions that enabled them to spend the time to have it ready to go. Uh, and that's, I guess, the attitude that I think we as leaders of, of businesses right now need to be having which is even though we're hunkering down and, and trying to weather the current storm it's just giving ourselves however we can and however we tend to work as individuals just that little bit of breathing space not to spend the whole time on the microscope and uh, and as as best we can just just get the telescope out now and now and again um home run is the name of the bar and it's uh there you go uh a percentage uh, from each uh each bar sold is going to the campaign against living miserably uh, mental health charity so Simon Dent has been on the podcast before so I think it's nice to give him uh, a bit of a or give people a bit of a nudge um, in their direction I can um, I can actually vouch for so, so we talked to Simon for the article and I thought I'd say thank you and, and got a, 
um, a dose of the bars on um, on Amazon, and I can vouch for the fact that when you don't know, you're not very good at concentrating for three hours, and therefore not a very good cricket umpire. They're pretty <laughs> good at ten overs to keep you on the straight and narrow and keep you concentrating. Okay, well there we go. We've got um, uh, we've got direct consumer feedback for you as well. There you go. <laughs> um, what what's the what's the challenge going to be now for organisations uh, going from that firefighting phase into into what's going to be maybe a bit of a holding pattern in 21 uh hopefully for, at least for the, for the luckier ones anyway it'll be you know the, the enough to keep them going through that year you know how do you manage that transition now into 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 setting up this 22 strategy and and uh and and, and then executing it so i think ultimately brilliant basics is about saying right where are we today what are the most pragmatic three or four financial scenarios we can see um, over the course of the next six to 12 months? And how do we manage ourselves day to day, week to week against that? Rebuilding with confidence about saying, where can we see our organization and our market and our customer base and our shareholder base being in two to three years time? Um, and working back from that point, um, how, 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 what does that mean we'll need to have finished by the end of 2021 to get ourselves in shape? And at some point, the working forward from the brilliant basics and the working back from the rebuilding confidence collide. And that's probably the point where you can, you can look at your three scenarios and go, you know what, we only need one now because we know how sport's coming back um, in live format in a format that we can sustainably deliver um, we know we have the right balance sheets um, available to us to deliver it. We know our fans were with us. We've de- developed enough direct relationships that we can feel confident even if our broadcast revenue goes down a little, we can make that back up with other media propositions. So you, you kind of have enough confidence that your brilliant basics three scenarios have gone down to one. And, and that's the point at which I, I would suggest you're you're good to go in terms of kind of the, the be of the bang of the of the long term plan, and that process of mitigating it coming back against that McKinsey quote oh, that's 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 going to give you a headache, right? And that's just the reality, and that's why hopefully podcasts like this and articles like I'm writing are, are somewhat helpful at least to realise you're not alone in the dilemma because um, I'm sort of saying things here that are, are are completely conflicting. So I'm saying, well, your balance sheet needs are di- needs are totally unique. But at the same time, you might benefit from some, some collaboration. I'm kind of saying stick to the basics, financial planning out. But I'm also saying, oh, try and remodel for the future. I'm saying um, you need to make tough choices, smart plan, focus. But also, you know, if you come up with a nice idea for an energy bar, have a look at it. And that's the contradictions of leadership, ultimately. And the job of any leader is just to manage the short term and the large, the, the, the long term, follow your nose a little bit and talk to other people um, who are in similar situations. I think one of the other things I'm noticing is is, is the uh, achievement le- level in particular, those boundaries have come down a little bit. And I think if a chief exec in sports call another one, just say, hey, I'm looking for some advice right now. I think I'd be amazed if you didn't get under some open diary time, just the time to chat because we're all going through it. We are indeed. Thanks very much for that, Matt. Cheers. Thank you to all of you for listening and best of luck to anyone. Uh, dealing with this particular set of challenges at this time and we'll be back with you again very soon bye bye the sport
Sports Pro podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon. 